This is episode 109 of Offscript with Trish Close, intimate interviews with interesting people. And joining me via Skype today, I have Paige Braddock. She is the chief creative officer of the approvals team at the Chultz Studio. That's, you're at the Peanut Studio. In California, yes. Okay. In fact, I looked this up, the Peanut Studio blog. You, this, you wrote this, you said, I've always said the Peanuts studio, Charles M. Schultz's studio, is one of the best kept cartooning secrets because no one knows it still exists. So there's a, whole, right. uh, there's a whole approvals team. You're in charge of that approvals team, but there's this whole crew, and I just asked you this question. Are you guys drawing these, these characters on a daily basis? Are you, you're just managing the artwork from Charles Schultz. Well, yeah, if you can imagine, so all the product that you see around the world that has any of the Peanuts characters on it uh, has to come through our studio for somebody to review it, right? Mm -hmm. And we try to use as much original Schultz art as we can, but as you can imagine, and there's instances when a pose has to be created or a scene has to be redrawn or something to fit a particular uh, product like say for example a jigsaw puzzle like you would need to create a much more intricate scene to make that work or um, maybe there's a children's book where illustrations need to be combined right to create more of a, a narrative story so yeah it's a combination of um, creating art using as much of Schultz's original art as mm. we can um, basically everybody that works at the studio is a huge fan of Schultz so we want his his artwork to shine whenever it can, right? Oh, I'm yeah. sure. I'm We're sure. standing on the shoulders of a giant, yeah. Huge, and I have a lot of questions about that. Before, I always like to start with where you're from originally, but before we get there, I just wanna keep this little thing you wrote in the blog. Um, you guys, the studio team, responsible for oversight of the art and editorial content for all licensed Peanuts products worldwide. You write, that means we're connected to licensees in over 24 time zones. As I type this, there are 24,369 active submissions in our digital approval system. Oh my goodness, that's insane. Yeah, I think it's because, um, you know, we in the, in the US, right, we think of peanuts sort of maybe more seasonally at the time, like the Christmas special mm -hmm. or, um, I don't know. I don't know how we think about it in the U.S., but but globally, peanuts is like super popular in Asia, especially. So yeah, so we're working with studios like all over the place in Europe and Asia. Um, it's pretty fun, but you can never get caught up on your email because there's always a time zone that's awake. <laughs> that's pretty great. Well, I'm glad you found my email because that means you're here with me today. Uh, Paige Braddock, where are you from originally? Um, I was born in California, actually, uh, but I grew up in the Deep South, and um, most recently before I moved here, I was living in Atlanta, working in newspapers. I worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Okay, Deep South. Now, I'm from South Carolina, so where'd you grow up in the Deep South? I uh, went to elementary school in uh, Mississippi, in Wiggins, Mississippi, and went to high school in North Carolina, in Brevard and went to college at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. All right. So, yeah. All over the South. Solid. Then. Yeah, solid Southerner. <laughs> good, you are in good company, my friend. Um, do you have, are you a barbecue fan at all? Oh yeah. Okay. 
which of those places that you live has the best barbecue? I think Carolina barbecue is my favorite. Although North Carolina barbecue and South Carolina barbecue are very different. True, true, yeah. It's vinegar, is it, is North Carolina mustard it's, or is it vinegar? No, it's vinegar. Yeah, North Carolina is vinegar. So South Carolina, we do vinegar too. It's a vinegar based, and I mean vinegar that it'll, it'll knock your socks off vinegar. Yeah, that's why you gotta have a little coleslaw on it to like uh, soften it all up, right? Yeah, you're speaking my love language right now, for sure. <laughs> um, so you went to school in Tennessee to do to pursue. Well, you tell me what did what did you go to school for? Um, I majored in illustration uh, back in the dark ages before the internet when I was in school. Uh, you could actually major in illustration and get like magazine jobs, newspaper jobs, you know, children's illustration books kind of jobs. Uh, yeah, so I majored in illustration. I did that for about 12 years before I took this job at the uh, studio in California. Okay. Did you, were you always drawing as a kid? Were you a doodler? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I announced to my parents when I was seven that I was going to be a cartoonist when I grew up, and my mom's like, "Yeah, you'll outgrow that." Aw, that's really cute. Did you? Were you like a Sunday comics fan? Oh yeah, yeah. Comic books too. Were you a big fan of comic books? No, you know, growing up in a very rural area, we didn't really have comic shops. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not even sure we had a bookstore in Wiggins. I, I don't remember one. So my main point of contact with comics was the Sunday paper. Yeah. What is it about drawing, and I, I guess as a youngster, that kind of like doodling? Because it's very zen, right? You, you're in the moment. You're just focused on what's in front of you. What is it about drawing, even at such a young age, you loved so much? I think, you know, I don't know where you grew up, if you grew up in a rural area or more of an urban area, but uh, my dad was a forester, so we were always out in the middle of nowhere, kind of, mm -hmm. and um, I think I started drawing as a way to feel less lonely, you know, as a kid, you sort of create your own friends, your own little adventures, your own stories, um, um, I actually, thinking back, think that's why I started, you know, when you have a lot of alone time and you want to entertain yourself, that's how you do it. And um, as an adult, I still, like, if I don't get to draw a little bit every day, I get kind of grumpy. It's like my, it's sort of my happy place is drawing. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. So you graduate school, you're an illustrator. So this is what, you know, you're, this is what you're going to do. Do you start in newspapers? Yeah, actually started in newspapers. Yeah. Uh, now, I have uh, on here, you worked at Chicago Tribune and the Atlanta Constitution. Yeah, I actually worked at a bunch of newspapers uh, because, you know, back then you started really low on the totem pole, right? And if you, when you changed jobs, you went to a slightly bigger paper, you made a little more money, you you know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I moved a lot early in my career. Um, I started in Jackson, Mississippi, and then... Um, Basically, Atlanta was where I ended up, but I also worked in Orlando for a while. I worked in Pensacola for a while, um, worked in Tennessee for a little while. I, I worked all over. Um, Chicago was very, um, that was a very uh, challenging job just because I had never lived in a huge city like that. I'd never lived 
in the north, you know, in a northern climate. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't stay there very long. Basically, once it's you know, once I was there for two winters, I was like, nah, maybe I've done this enough. Gotcha. What were you doing in those early days drawing for papers? Were you doing your own comic strip or were you doing other things? Well, for newspapers, uh, back then, newspapers had art departments and you'd have like, you know, a whole staff of people who were doing features, illustrations, op-ed pieces, uh, you know, news items like, you know, maps or charts or basically anything you couldn't show with a photograph, you had an illustrator was doing something um, to support that story. So I think now they've centralized a lot of that and people use wire services so that yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of those old art departments aren't there anymore uh, the way they used to be. Just sort of the changing industry. So early on, in I'll, 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 sorry. No, go ahead, please. I, I was just gonna say, but all you know, newspapers. You work, you work nights, and you come home, and all your friends are already in for the night, right? So I would stay up late, eat sugary cereal, and basically draw comics. That was my thing when I would get home at night. Uh, and I started uploading them to the internet. That's how, that's how Jane's World happened. It started as sort of a late night, entertain myself kind of hobby, and then just kept sort of going for twenty years. Wow. And it's ultimately how. It's ultimately how I met Charles Schultz at a comic convention, a comic event. Um, okay. So, well, let's talk about that. What came first, Jane's World or Charles Schultz Studio? Jane's World. Jane's World. So you started this in 1998. It's the first gay-themed comic work to receive online distribution by a national media syndicate in the U.S. Now, it says it's Eisner-nominated. What does that mean? What's the significance of Eisner nomination? So the Eisners are kind of like the Emmys for comics. Uh, they they host them at the uh, big comic event in San Diego that happens every year. And uh, yeah, it was nominated for, for best humor publication for that year, best humor comic, which um, I was very, I was very honored to be nominated. And I had some serious competition, so I knew I wasn't gonna win, but it was nice to be nominated. For sure. You started this, you kind of already answered this question, but I was curious why you started Jane's World. Was it because, was this your imagination, something happening in your head, you're putting it on you know, paper, or was it because you wanted this and it didn't exist out there, so you created it for yourself? Yeah, I think it's the latter. It was like, I, I was interested in comics. There wasn't anything that sort of, there wasn't sort of anything in that lane that was, you know, there were, there were gay comics at that time, but they were maybe more political, but there wasn't anything that was just humor based, just funny. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so my comic was basically uh, a gay person living in a straight world, uh, navigating just normal stuff like buying groceries, pet care, having a roommate who's a slob. It was like normal life stuff, sort of like, you know, if you if you mashed up like Friends and Ellen, you know, as sitcoms, that was sort of Jane's world. That's awesome. And so are you, how much of you exists in Jane? Any? Uh, I'd, I'd say a fair amount. Hopefully I'm uh, more successful than she is. She's sort of a <laughs> likable loser. She's sort of like, um, you know, she's like uh, very similar to Charlie Brown in that she doesn't mm -hmm. always, she very rarely succeeds. She's always getting in her own way, kind of. 
Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. Um, did yeah. you, so Jane's World, you said you, you created this because nothing like this really existed. There were gay comic strips, but were there like lesbian themed comic strips or was it mostly, do you, do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely, uh, like Alison Bechtel was definitely working back then in, um, mm. uh, in papers, her comic was appearing. So yeah, she was about 10 years ahead of me. Um, so whatever I was going to do needed to be different than what she was doing. Cause she had already sort of, uh, um, you know, established herself, but you know, I always tell people you can't be quite that, um, strategic, right? You can't say, oh, I see this niche and I'm going to write a story that's going to fill that niche because then it starts to not feel authentic. Yeah. Whatever you're going to write needs to be, it needs to feel, feel authentic to people, right? Or they're not going to be invested in it. They're not going to care about the characters. Okay. Um, so yeah. would you say you're, you know, would you say is you're as much as a writer as you are a cartoonist or do those go hand in hand? Well, I think definitely um, one of the things I like about comics is it does require both those disciplines, right? You have to be a writer and an artist. And some people who are cartoonists are better writers than they are artists. Some people are better artists than they are writers, right? So what you want to try to find is, is a, a strong balance between those two things. And if you're weak in one, you want to sort of work on that skill set. Um, I would say, too, you have I to learned be clever. A lot. You have to be a little clever, right? Yeah. A lot clever. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be a good editor of your own work, too, and, like, realize when something's not working. Mm -hmm. um, and I cut you off. I'm sorry. Yeah. What were you going to say? Oh, I think I was just going to say, you know, I didn't start out doing Jane's World with any sort of seriousness behind it. It really was for my own entertainment. But I think doing it and staying with it for so long and then, you know, working with an editor uh, at the syndicate in Kansas City, I think the work improved and I learned a lot, which enabled me to then go on and do other projects um, that I might not have otherwise done. Gotcha. What was so. the, and I guess, it sort of tell me how this worked. You started this comic strip. Did it get recognized? Were you getting feedback? How did it ultimately get out there in the world? Well, 1995, 96 is when I started uh, posting it as a web comic, a comic, and that was when web comics weren't really there yet, right? So in that way, I was a little bit ahead of that curve, and that's really how it initially built an audience was online, and um, and then that's how and that's how the syndicate ended up noticing it too because it had a pretty healthy online following, so. Um, they did test it in uh, in newspapers for a brief period to see if it would be actually printed instead of just for online distribution. But I think at the time it was the, uh, you know, it was a little too risque for mainstream papers. I always used to joke. I said, Jane is like, she's like Disney gay, right? She's too gay <laughs> for straight papers, but not gay enough for gay papers. She's like, it's like. <laughs> uh, Jane can't win. <laughs> Poor Jane. Dang. That's pretty good. Disney. She's a Disney gay. Um, yeah. What feedback were you getting, though, in the early years? What were you hearing from from readers and fans of Jane? Uh, it's funny. I actually had a quite, I would say that 
half or more than half of my audience, maybe I would say maybe more than half of my audience was, was straight readers who, uh, found Jane to be like an entry point into a life experience that they weren't familiar with or didn't know. Like, um, I would get, I would get these really heartfelt notes from emails from, uh, parents of kids who are gay. Like uh, I remember in particular this one email from this dad somewhere in the Midwest. And he said he had really, really worried about his daughter who he found out was gay. And then he started reading Jane's world and now he felt like maybe she's going to be okay. Oh my gosh, Paige. Did that hit you in the <laughs> gut? Yeah. It just like gets you right here. It really does. I mean, there's, yeah. So many struggles, we hear that still, even in 2020, there's so many struggles with young teenagers who are, they know inside they're gay, but they have such a hard time telling friends and, and parents. And I mean, to the point where, I mean, you have suicide rates among this particular group of individuals. So that's gotta be huge that a comic strip can help either someone talk about it or help a dad go, okay, my daughter's gonna be just fine, thanks to Jane. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then I, I would get notes from like young people, probably in their early 20s or teens, and I've, I've met people since then at comic events and they'll come up and say, oh my gosh, I've, I found your comic and it made me feel like I wasn't so alone. And I'm like, oh wow, like you don't set out to do that, but that's a really, that, that feels very powerful, right? That a comic could be such an ambassador to people who are struggling or hugely feeling bad about themselves. Hugely. Yeah. Dude, high five to you. That's pretty awesome. And you mentioned, <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned Alison Bechtel. Is she a cartoonist as uh -huh. well? Mm -hmm. She did uh, that book. Uh, well, she did a long running comic strip called Dykes to Watch Out For. And then she did Fun Home, which became a, a play on Broadway. I don't know if you remember that. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, that's the good. reason you should you should check Fun Home. You should check that out. It was a graphic novel. Fun Home. Fun Home. Yeah. Okay. I will. Well, the reason I bring her up is because I think I'm assuming this is just a, a critique on Jane's world, but she it's hilarious. She wrote, <laughs> Jane is one of the most endearing heroines in comics history, and Paige Braddock draws breasts better than anyone. That's hilarious. I, <laughs> I laughed out loud at my desk at that one. That's good. That's because, so, okay. Well, you've Not done your homework, I'd hope. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I was going to say, like, comics in general is a very male-dominated field, right? So there's only a handful of women. At the time that Allison and I were working in the field, there was just a handful of women who were in this organization called the National Cartoonist Society. It's it's much better now. This is like 20 years ago, right? Okay. Uh, but she and Hillary Price, who is another cartoonist uh, working on the East Coast, we were at a conference in Ohio together. And we all decided to go out to a steakhouse and have, and, and during dinner decided to have a drawing contest. And that's what that quote is about. <laughs> that's I won the contest, basically. That's what I'm saying. Excellent. Nice work. So, <laughs> so Jane's World's out there. You've been doing, and you did this for 20 years. You started, uh, right? 20 years? Yeah. Okay. So at what point in that do you meet Charles Schultz? Uh, it was 1990, 
1999. Early 1999. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had met him. I had met him a few times at this uh, National Cartoonist Society convention that happened every year. And I jokingly told somebody one time the reason I met him was because out of like 500 cartoonists, there were only four women, and he knew the other three. And so that's how we met. That was my <laughs> joke. Uh, but I think um, he and I had a couple of serious conversations when we would run into each other, each other like one time about um, theology. I don't know. Maybe I just, maybe somehow we just had a connection. And um, at some point, uh at one of these conferences, he just asked me if I would come out and work at the studio. It was just sort of out of the blue, and he didn't really even know what the job was going to be, and I think he just realized he needed help. Wow. Were you a Peanuts fan yeah. growing up? That's it was one of those, it was one of those, I was a big fan, yeah, but it was one of those lightning bolt moments, you know, one of those things that just sort of happens out of the blue that you, you can't really prepare for or don't expect. Um, I mean, I know the answer. What'd you say? What'd you say in that moment? <laughs> it was funny. He said, I'm not even sure what the job is. And I'm like, I don't care. I would literally mow the grass, right? To work with your hero as a cartoonist. He's your hero. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you move out to California, right? Yep. Okay. So when you get there, like, you know, the first few days at this job, what are you, what are you doing? What are you learning? Are you working right underneath him? Kind of like watching his, how he does things? Um, the first thing I remember working on was a, a lunchbox for Hallmark. Uh, it was like they were re-releasing some vintage lunchbox that they had done, in, you know, a long time ago. And the uh, I remember I really really remember it because on the lunchbox Snoopy's holding a sandwich and and Sparky that's what we call Mr. Schultz everybody called him Sparky uh, he didn't like the way uh, Snoopy's thumb looked he thought his paw looked really weird holding this sandwich and he wanted me to redraw it and so I was like oh crap I, that's a lot of pressure I'm gonna draw Snoopy's paw holding a sandwich while you're watching this is terrible right. This crisis moment for cartooning. Uh, anyway, I did it a couple of times, and I did obviously I didn't, as expected, didn't get it right the first time. And he would come in and like draw a little drawing next to it and say, "No, no, it needs to look like this. It needs to look like this." And so there were a few of those kind of lessons uh, early on, and then and then he just sort of turned me loose. He was very he wasn't a very controlling person in that in that regards, you know, like. Not what you would think. Okay. And he so was he looking to get into retirement and that's why you came along? Yeah, if you can imagine, I think, I mean, it's a lot of work to do a daily comic strip every day. And then on top of that, to have this huge licensing business where he's got people asking him questions all the time and asking him for special drawings. And can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Can you help me with this? And I think what he wanted to do was sort of coast into retirement by just really focusing on drawing the comic strip. And he wanted somebody else to take all this licensing stuff off his plate. And so that was kind of the division of labor. That's what I was trying to help him with. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Did the approvals team grow at that point? Like you, you came along and then it's sort of this team at the studio grew from there or did that already exist? 
No, there was um, there was really like two other people that worked at the studio when I started. Um, a woman named Erin who helped with uh, she did the color Sunday on the comics and handled approvals. And there was another woman, uh, Evelyn Ellison, who also handled approvals. So it was very small, very small staff. And uh, when I started, they were they were doing about 2000 pieces a month, I think. And now we're up to about 13,000 pieces a month. And we have like a staff of 21. So it's really grown in 20 years. For sure. In fact, I was reading through the staff list and there's a, a gentleman on there and it says at the bottom of his little bio that his son thinks his boss is Snoopy. Yeah. Really cute. <laughs> yeah. So you can draw all the characters, all the peanuts. What is it about this, I don't know if it's the characters or the comic strip that, I mean, people around the world, what is it about the Peanuts that people love so much? Well, I think, um, you know how I said earlier, it's really important to be authentic mm -hmm. in whatever you're doing. And I think Schultz was very, he was incredibly authentic. He was actually, if you think about it, um, very brave in sort of sharing his insecurities and his like feelings about the world I mean if you read the comic strip you you see all of that in him like uh, you know Linus's sort of philosophical ponderings of like the bigger deeper things in life and you know Charlie Brown's insecurities like Snoopy's whimsical nature all that stuff those are all facets of Schultz's personality I think right and so he was just being so honest on paper that I think that resonated with people. Additionally, I think he, um, he left a lot of things out. Like if you look at the drawings in Peanuts, the characters are, they're deceptively simple in their design. And a lot of the backgrounds are very sparse. And I think what that does is it allows people to bring something of themselves to the work when they're reading it, right? some they project some of their own experience onto that and so it feels more personal maybe mm -hmm. um one of the fascinating things to me is how here's a guy from who grew up in the midwest who is writing a comic strip essentially about an american experience particular to that era and yet it resonates so deeply in parts of the world where you wouldn't think it would for J in japan for example um and I think part of that is I feel like in Japan, they sort of view him as a master craftsman, almost like Miyazaki, right? He's like this, uh, he's really admired artist. Um, For sure. Yeah. Um, do you identify with any of the characters? Is there a character that you're just like, yeah, that's, I mean, is it Charlie Brown? Is it, I mean, is there, are there any of the characters within Peanuts that really speaks to you? I think it would be a combination of Linus and Snoopy. Those are probably my two favorites. <laughs> I always feel like Snoopy is not a fan of Charlie Brown, but then at the end, they always come together as best buds. Like, I just feel like Snoopy gets so annoyed with him sometimes. Well, here's a question. Are you a dog owner? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an animal freakazoid. So yeah, I have two dogs at home. Okay, well, so do you ever notice how your dog sort of just like, uses you to get what they want <laughs> like yeah 
Like if your dog could, if your dog could operate a can opener or open the refrigerator, I mean, that's what I feel about Snoopy. I feel like he uses Charlie Brown to get what he wants sometimes. Yes, you are a hundred percent accurate in that statement. That's really funny. My husband sometimes says, if, like, even with a cat, like, if the cat could eat us, they would. Like, they would just be like, get out of here. I don't need you right now. Um, so yeah. when you when you guys are going through the day to day, um, you said you don't you try not to draw these characters. You're trying to pull from all of the you know the images that have that were originally created. Are there ever instances where you do have to sit down and and do a few things just because? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. As in, I mean, if I don't know if you have an example. Uh, well, so for example. Uh, maybe there's a, we're working with a licensee in Germany and there's a, some sort of special Bavarian festival where they need a particular uh, clothing on the characters that are uh, culturally specific. Gotcha. We do that in a lot of places. So we add like, so maybe we're not redrawing the head, but we're adding clothes and props and things like that. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And then how did Snoopy Grams come about? This is the page on Instagram that's just there it's called Snoopy Grams and it's just you know comic strips I'm assuming that are older comic uh, little comic strips or images of of Snoopy with you know Charlie Brown H how did that come about so Snoopy Grams is managed by our uh, licensing office in New York okay so you know how a lot, a lot of companies will have like a creative studio and then a licensing and a business office. And so we have the same thing. Our licensing and business office is in New York. Uh, it's called Peanuts Worldwide. And then the studio is out here in California. And the studio and the licensing office work together to do Snoopy Grams to sort of populate it with images. Yeah. So we'll lift like uh, special images and maybe theme them or color them in a certain way or add text so that they are maybe a little bit more contemporary mm -hmm. um, or, or for a particular uh, social media platform. Gotcha. Uh, do the same thing for Twitter. Yeah. It's a huge dose of sunshine every day. They really are. That's good to hear. They really are. I mean, every time they pop up in my feed, it's just a, a big smile on my face. So um, if anyone wants a little dose of sunshine, Snoopy Grams on Instagram, give them a follow. Um, can we talk about the novels that you have written, are writing? I'm hoping that's a yes. Can we talk about those? Uh, yeah, it's weird. You know, I had this moment where you're talking about that. It's like funny how that's like crossing the streams, like in Ghostbusters. I never really talk about the writing and the cartooning together. So this is going to be like my worlds are going to collide. Something, you know, crazy might happen. Welcome. Welcome to off script. I like when worlds collide. <laughs> well, because I, I sent you an email and I said, you know, I started just researching, doing research on, I, I try not to do too much research on people that I interview because I like to discover things in the interview. But I just, this pulled up for me, uh, lesbian romance novels. When did you start writing those? When did the first one, you start writing the first one? Uh, 2015. Okay, so, oh, not that long ago, just a few years ago. No, pretty, pretty recent. And again, kind of the same question with Jane's World. Did you start writing these because you didn't find any out there that existed, or was this just something in your brain that you had to get out on paper? 
Yeah, I had, I literally had a, a basically a, a box of ideas for stories that I wanted to do as graphic novels, and I just never had time to do them. Because when you're doing an ongoing strip like Jane's World, you have these characters living in your head all the time. Mm. It takes up a lot of space, and it also takes up a lot of time for drawing. There's so many hours in the day, right? Um, so I had this idea, like, wow, what if I... A lot of these stories are kind of adventure stories with, like, a romance sub... You know, like a thread of romance through them, right? But they're more maybe adventure stories or science fiction stories. And so I was like, I wonder if I could write these as prose rather than draw them. I wonder if I, wonder if I could do that. And... Um, so that's how it started. So a lot of these were ideas that I had that I had never got a chance to do as graphic novels that ended up just, I just wrote them as novels. Um, and I work with a publisher in upstate New York. And um, they paired me up with a, a really terrific editor in, she's out of Atlanta. And um, it's actually been a great experience all the way around. Just, I met tons of writers. I kind of wish... You know, you asked earlier about comics and how, you know, what part of it's writing and what part of it's drawing. And I wish if I could go back 20 years ago and and try to write a novel and then apply that knowledge to James World, James World would have been so much better, I think. It's just like I feel like I got that backwards a little bit, maybe. I should mm -hmm. have done some more writing classes back in the day because um, I feel like... Um, I mean, we can talk about this later, but I have these two new kids. I have a new kids series coming out, and I feel like I was able to apply everything I've learned in Jane's World and everything I've learned from this editor in Atlanta and working with this other editor in New York and create this series that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Yeah. So. Well, it's interesting in life, you know, what gets you on the path that you're on. You know, if you didn't, you could say if you didn't start Jane's World, you maybe never would have met Charles Schultz. I don't know. Right. Right. So it's just, yeah, it's just interesting the steps, the steps you take. How many novels have you written, graphic novels have you written so far to date? The prose novels, I, I don't actually know. There may be like 10 or 12. I don't know. Okay. A lot of them. There's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> like, like two a year since I started. So, uh, yeah. Okay. How do you find the time to write two novels a year? I don't even know. I mean, I feel like I don't sleep very much. Uh, <laughs> you must not. Seriously. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I used to travel a lot and I would write on airplanes. I mean, like I would write at lunch. I would write, you know, early in the morning before I went to work. I was like, I would just always be writing in these little spaces or writing notes in notebooks and, um, I don't know. I'm not doing it right now. I find that the working at home situation is not conducive for that because it's really hard to create um, creative space that work doesn't invade. So that's this is whole this whole work from home thing has been a very interesting period. How so for you? Well, somebody I was on a call with last week said, you know, it's not really working from home. It's sort of living from work. Ooh, that's, that's what a, it feels like sometimes. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, you can't escape it, right? You can't escape it, yeah. That's interesting. So when you started writing these novels, because you said you had all these ideas, when you actually sat down to write one, the first one maybe, we'll just say, did you find that it was just sort of coming out you like crazy? 
It was. It was sort of like just came all out in a flood, almost like you're um, channeling something um, in a weird way. Uh, the interesting thing, though, about writing a novel versus writing a comic strip is that in a comic strip, everybody gets a point of view, basically, right? You don't have to decide which character is going to tell your story. And in a prose novel, you have to make very specific decisions about point of view. Who in this story is telling the story? Like, you can have a cast of ten but one or two people have to rise to the top to be the people that are going to tell this story. And then the only story, the only story angle you can tell is what those characters have experienced from their perspective. So it's really training your brain to tell, uh, you know, in a different method of storytelling. For sure. Oh, I bet. Um, and then yeah. why yeah. the pen name? Because you write these under a pen name. Is that just to keep it separate? Partly to keep it separate because... Um, I, I don't know, like I, I really try to keep clean lines between the work I do at the Schultz studio and everything else I do. And for a long time, there was absolutely no crossover. Like I would never talk about the stuff I was doing on the side because if you, if you can imagine you work for this, like one of the most comp popular comic strips ever, I really wanted my work to succeed on its own and not because I was affiliated with, with, Charles Schultz, right? And yeah. so for many years, I just, people didn't even know I worked at the studio. They just thought I did James World and that's it. And um, I've only recently started sort of talking about both because I think it's healthy for people to see that you can have this big job, but you can also have these other, you know, creative outlets. But uh, Missouri Vaughn is the name of the pen name that I use is, was my great uh, grandmother on my dad's side. Um, and so she's writing fiction from the grave. She just doesn't know it. That's amazing. Did you guys have a good relationship? Did you know her growing up? I I don't remember her. I just have pictures. You know, I was a tiny little kid. Mm -hmm. uh, she died when I was very small. But I always just thought she had the greatest name ever. She should have been a novelist. With a name like Missouri Vaughn, you should, she should have been like a, you know, like an Indiana Jones kind of explorer, right? Mm -hmm. I mean. Yeah. Oh, that's a crazy, that's an awesome name. It's an awesome name. We just, my southern side of my family just recently did the whole sort of ancestry thing where we went back on my grandmother's side to see kind of where our people came from and the names on her side of the family. I mean, just incredible name. I can't even think of some of them right now. You know, I had a great, 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 great grandfather named Dallas. I, just all of these wonderful Isla was another one all of these incredible names that you're just like and I look at my mom and I'm like why did you name me after that person's name that's a great name I want that one uh, but yeah so I agree with you Missouri Vaughn is an is a fantastic name but that's the pen name that you're using to write these novels awesome where can people find these books are they available pretty much everywhere um I mean, I think they are. I feel like uh, they're probably easier to find online. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess it depends on how extensive a bookstore's, you know, sure. fiction collection is. But uh, you could go. I mean, I have a website, MissouriVaughn.com. You could find all all the books. And okay. and Vaughn is spelled V-A-U-N. So yes, it that's is. that's a slightly different spelling. So, um, but you're taking a but little the bit published, of... The, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say the publisher's Bull Strokes books out of New York, so you can, you can find them there too. 
Beautiful. And you are taking a little bit of a hiatus right now from writing. Yeah. Okay. Well, because I'm working on this, uh, this new, um, I don't know if you can see it. It's a, it's a new kids series called Peanut Butter and Crackers. Yes, I actually have that written down. I was going to ask you about that. Where did this idea come from? Yeah. So we got a puppy, uh, a, a dachshund puppy named oh. Charlie. And he basically turned our life upside down. Yeah, uh-huh. They're and, worse than um, toddlers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was having breakfast with an editor friend of mine in New York, and she was like, we should work together. Let's do something. Uh, what do you want to do a story about? And I was like, I'd really, maybe about dogs. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how Peanut Butter Crackers happened. Amazing. And it's a kid uh, series book, right? It's a kid series. Yeah, it comes out. Uh, it's from uh, Viking, uh, which is a division of Penguin Random House, and it comes out uh, mid-September. Fantastic! Congratulations. I yeah, feel like thank you. I feel like your your brain is this. Um, you just have all these like compartments in your brain that holds like kid stories, and we've got Charlie Brown, and we've got graphic novels. You have all these like little sections of your brain that have just all these different outlets. It's super cool. Very impressive. Oh, thank you. I feel like working on Peanuts has, like, made me really want to do a kids series, you know, uh, and sort of learn and sort of use what I've learned working on that job. Um, so I think that that definitely contributed. I mean, I think people will probably see shades of Snoopy in the little puppy character in this book because, um, you know, that's yeah. my inspiration. When did you get this puppy? He's, he's two years old now, okay. so he's, he's really a dog, but... Yeah. Well, I have an Italian Mastiff at home that was a puppy for probably about two and a half years. So I feel ya. I mean, it was like the 2.30 wake-up call to go out and go potty, and then it's finding, you know, vomit or something is destroyed. Ugh. So, yeah. I feel ya. Puppies, yeah. puppies are a project. Yeah. They're great, but they're a project. There's a reason this is this title of this is Puppy Problems because, <laughs> yeah, if you've had a puppy, then you know. Oh, 100%. So Jane's World somewhat ended. There was sort of like a final kind of a, a finale, if you will. Is that going to come back, you think? Or is that up in the air? I don't know. Um, it kind of ended on a high note, so it would be hard maybe to bring it back. Although I still think about those characters a lot. I mean, uh, it was, it was sort of, Jay's World sort of came, made this beautiful circle, right? When, when the comics started, uh, gay marriage wasn't legal. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of states there were like where there was no protection for LGBT, um, people, and so it started sort of as this, you know, it was a little bit of an underground comic, right? And then it ended 20 years later with a wedding with yeah. two of the characters, main characters getting married. So, wow, it started when it wasn't legal. It ended when it was. And then the send off for the strip actually got written up in the New York Times. So I was like, okay, I can't really do better than that. I feel like that really just tied everything up with a big red bow and I should just leave it alone. Yeah, it's kind of like this, you think back like Seinfeld, just like, let's, we're good, just like end it on this high note. I'm done, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And 
just as far as you know the peanut studio what are you guys working on these days is there any big fun project or are you just plugging along business as usual well we did this uh deal with apple and and released um 12 is it 12 or 13 now i should know this number uh new animated shorts we partnered with uh nasa to do some some science you know space content for kids um and if I'm not mistaken, I think those are even free to download on the Apple platform. So um, that was pretty fun. Snoopy has a long history with NASA. And and so that's been a really fun partnership with them, sort of revisiting that with animation. We're working with a um, Wild Brain is our studio in Canada. Um, and they're doing all the animation. And it's a really, really great team in Vancouver and Toronto that we're working with. So that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, there's always a lot of books in production and, uh, there's a new book coming out soon from, from DK in London, which is sort of a big encyclopedia of all things peanuts. That would be really fun if you're a fan to get, um, people always ask, and there's like so many things like going on. I can't always think of things off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, you sound those like, are both good. you sound yeah. like a busy lady for sure. Um, I know you mentioned where you can find the novels, but if anyone wants to go back and look at Jane's World, I just, I Googled that and I found the whole Jane's World website. So is that the best thing to do? Yeah, that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah. I work with this really great social media person, uh, Celine DeLeon, and she has set up all the sites. So it's really easy to find everything. You can go to, you can type my name in and find stuff. You could type in peanut butter and crackers and find that website. Mm -hmm. You can type in Jane's World and find that. Yeah. So okay. I'm sorry. There. And what did you say her name was? Uh, Celine DeLeon. Okay. Sounds very. She's out of, uh, Phila yeah, she's out of Philadelphia. She really just helped me out a lot in organizing my. You know, what you what you realize when you have a lot of different projects is that you need to let go of the things that maybe you're not as good at. I am not that good at social media. Mm -hmm. I'm not that good at designing a website. So I sort of took that off my plate and partnered with her on that stuff and uh, so that I can focus on the, the art and the books. That's a hard lesson for me to learn. I'm a bit of a control freak. So it's like letting things, let, let it go, Elsa, is a very, it's a hard thing for me to do sometimes. Yeah. Should be your theme song. <laughs> <laughs> Some days it is. Some days it is. Um, well, Paige, you are. We're going to wrap up and get to the final three. Um, but you are fascinating. I mean, just absolutely fascinating. I knew a bit about you, but I learned so much more in this interview. So thank you for sharing. Absolutely love it. Um, let's get to the final three best advice you've ever been given. You know. I would say it maybe wasn't advice as much as um, something I came across when I was at the library in college in Knoxville. There was this, you know how they have those inspirational posters mm -hmm. on the wall sometimes? And I wrote this quote in my sketchbook and basically it became sort of my mantra for the rest of my life. And it, and it goes something like, um, be willing at any moment to sacrifice what you are for what you could become. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah, but what it does is it's encouraging you to take leaps of faith, right? And yeah. a lot of what I've done in my life have been leaps of faith that have ended up being really worthwhile and rewarding. So 
um, sort of have to overcome your fear to do that. For sure. Fear, uh, I just interviewed, uh, he was a former clinical psychologist, and one of his main things is fear is not your friend. Right. Yeah. Got to take the leaps of faith. Good. That's excellent. That's excellent advice that you've given to yourself all of these years, I guess. Um, what's your happy place? Uh, definitely my studio and drawing. I think at the drawing board is my happy place. And again, it's very zen, right? You can... Are you thinking about anything else when you're drawing? Not usually. It, it, you do sort of clear your mind. It's almost meditative, I think, um, when you're drawing. Yeah. I was going to say, even with Jane's World, it sounded like, you know, you were saying Charles Schultz kind of get he, all of these um, insecurities out in this comic strip. And it seems like a little bit of therapy almost because you, if you're going through something or if you're having an issue and you draw it, it's out now. It's there. And you don't, you're kind of, I'm not dealing with it anymore. That's right. It's almost like a diary, but it's public. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody, here's my stuff. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, final meal, final drink. What would that look like? That would, that's an easy one. That would be pepperoni pizza and a root beer. Nice. A lot. That's a, that's like Americana right there. I know. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite root beer? Oh, yeah, Barks. Got to be. Okay, good call. Um, again, yeah. thank you so much. You have been absolutely fascinating. If you are listening to this podcast on Apple's podcast app or Spotify, uh, subscribe, rate, and review. I would totally appreciate it. You can also watch this at ktbl.com or on YouTube. Just look up Off Script with Trish Close. One more time, Paige Braddock with the uh, Schultz Studio out in California. Thank you so much for especially the little dose of sunshine that I talked about on Instagram with the Snoopy Grams. So very nice to have you. Very nice to chat with you. Absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much.